Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, God be praised. God be praised for the gifts that the Lord gives to his church. God be praised, Jackson, for your baptism, where the Lord has washed you in the renewal and uh, rebirth of the Holy Spirit, that he's clothed you with Christ himself, that you are redeemed, and that you are his. And God be praised this day for you as well, Abby, for the Lord has opened your lips and he has caused you to confess Christ and he will now cause you to receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins and the strengthening of your faith and the bringing of you into the eternal realms. And as it turns out, as the Lord is apt to do, he gives us these things on days in which The scriptures that he has appointed for the day also speak directly to the same things. That both baptism and confirmation very much have something to do with the rich man and Lazarus, as it turns out. There are maybe three things for us to highlight on this. The first is that in the rich man and Lazarus, you have at the outset a contrasting of riches. Now, this isn't obvious, at least not at first. The Lord describes the the rich man in this kind of over-the-top sort of way. He's clothed in fine and purple linen. he's, He's resplendent, we might say, in his clothing. The fact that he wears purple indicates that he has a great amount of wealth in the ancient world because only kings have the money that's required to wear things that are purple. He also feasts sumptuously every day. He engorges himself. He has more than he needs, more than he wants. So much so that when we get to Lazarus, Lazarus is desiring to be fed with what falls from the master's table, from the rich man's table. There's so much food that's just falling off the edges of his dinner table that it could also be used to feed somebody. The rich man is very rich. That's why he doesn't get a name. He's just called what he is, the rich man. Lazarus, however, our brother Lazarus, is described pretty differently. And it doesn't seem like he's rich at all. He's laid at the man's gate. This would have been so that the man would take care of him. He desires to be fed with what falls from the master's table, but it seems the way that's written That desire is never met. It's never fulfilled. He has sores covering his body instead of resplendent clothing. And the dogs are his only comfort. Dogs, which we should remember in the ancient world, are unclean. Dogs aren't pets in the ancient world. Dogs are part of the unclean creatures like pigs. It's like the 
the guy that we'll get in a couple of weeks, the young man who takes his father's inheritance and squanders it, and he's in the pig troughs, longing to be fed with what they have. Lazarus is not too awfully distant, at least in his description here. And we have this contrasting then of their riches. Lazarus is poor. He has literally nothing, not even food, not even whole skin. The rich man has everything, or so it would seem. Because then they die. Lazarus dies and is carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also dies. Death is the great equalizer here. So the saying goes, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And what happens to them is almost the opposite of what you might expect as the narrative's going on. If you don't know what's going to happen, it's kind of surprising. Lazarus ends up in eternal bliss, even seemingly unaware of the rich man's pleas to Abraham. And the rich man is by himself in this torment, desiring just the tip of Lazarus's finger to be wet with water. Lazarus, as it turned out, was the one who was actually rich. Rich in faith. Rich in the Lord's mercy and his kindness. It didn't manifest physically in this life. But in the same way that Job, after all the calamity has occurred to him, is still rich in Christ prior to his restoration, so is Lazarus. And the rich man is actually poor. And this is the same with us. We may or may not have stuff in this life. In fact, every one of us has differing amounts of stuff that the Lord has given to us in this life. We have different physical blessings that the Lord has given to us. Some of us deal with chronic pain. Some of us don't. Some of us have lots of clothes, some very little. But that is not where our riches are found. Our riches are found in the true riches that the Lord gives to us in faith and in Christ, in our baptisms, in our confession of the faith, in our abiding unto the end. Those are our true riches. And so, Jackson and Abby, you are, like Lazarus, rich in Christ. And God be praised for that. We have also this thing in, that's kind of in the background of the whole narrative of the rich man and Lazarus, that God's word is the actor. God's word is the thing that's doing everything in the background, like it always is. Even concerning our faith. If we are to be rich in faith, that faith has to get to us somehow, and that's through the word. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them, says Abraham. And that's not just an exhortation to Abraham. That is an exhortation to us as well. Apparently, at least the way this gets written, Lazarus had heard and believed Moses and the prophets. That is the origin of his faith, that his faith, like every other person in the history of the world, has come through hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. Hearing Moses and the prophets, hearing the apostles 
hearing Christ. And this is true for all of us, but this is especially true for you, Jackson, and you, Abby, on this day, that the Lord has continued this work of bringing you into the faith. Yes, I'm going to keep mentioning you, so just deal with it. That he's baptized you, both of you, but we remember that baptism isn't plain water. It is the word of God in and with the water that does these things. You have heard Moses and the prophets in your baptism. And you will, both of you, receive also the body and blood of our Lord from this altar. And that, too, is a product of his word. That this bread and this wine, this eating and this drinking, accomplishes these great things of bringing us into eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, not because of the eating and the drinking, but because of the word of God which says, this is for you. For the words for you require all hearts to believe. And so the same way that Lazarus is brought into the bosom of Abraham, that he's brought in, sustained in the faith, that he's given all the riches of Christ, he's the same way the two of you and all of us, in fact, are, through God's word. This is why your confirmation text is actually quite wonderful. This God is my strong refuge, and he has made my way blameless. You have sin, in case you didn't know that. That's not why you're blameless. It's not why you are blameless. That's not why any of us are blameless. This is one of these marvelous confirmation texts that really can go to all of us. This God is my strong refuge, and he has made my way blameless. How? Through his death through his resurrection, and through the application of those realities to us through our ears in his word. And so God be praised, Jackson and Abby, that he has continued speaking to you and will, according to his mercy, keep speaking to you. And then lastly, there are two things that are set up for us to be aware of. One that miracles don't create faith, and two, that we have a whole lot more miracles going on than we tend to realize. Now, when the rich man pleads that Lazarus be sent to his brothers, his rationale is, if they were to see someone rise from the dead, they'll believe. If they can see with their eyes some miraculous thing, they will be brought to faith. And Abraham says, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, if they will not believe by their ears, they will not believe by their eyes. Even something as miraculous as the resurrection from the dead, it will not accomplish it. This is a reminder for us and a warning for us not to live by our eyes, but by our ears, always. And to let our eyes be informed by our ears, to see everything around us through the lens of God's word. But it also pokes at us a little bit because when we desire to have these miraculous things, it betrays the fact that we don't see the miraculous around us constantly, including within the realm of the church. That here today, we have kind of the obvious things. We have the miracle of baptism. 
we have the miracle, we should call it a miracle, of confirmation. Anybody who's ever brought children through confirmation knows that it is a miracle for that to happen. But you also have the miracle earlier of the absolution. And you have the miracle of our singing. And you have the miracle of our prayers. You have the miracle of the scriptures being read. None of these things should happen. I mean, certainly not baptism, certainly not confirmation, but even singing the Lord's word, singing his praises, that shouldn't happen. Praying, that shouldn't happen. Being absolved, forgiven of all of our sins because of the blood of Christ, that shouldn't happen. Having our lips opened by the Lord, having his body and his blood placed upon our lips, none of that should ever happen. And the fact that that happens regularly is nothing short of a miracle. The fact that there are regularly people gathered to hear God's word, to call upon him in prayer and praise, the fact that there is ever anybody who stands before the Lord in repentance and contrition is miraculous. And we should thank God for that. Not just on days where we have these wonderful things such as baptism and confirmation. It is not to downplay those. Those are wonderful. But to remember that even when those are not here and we have the same old services, that it is always miraculous because of what the Lord is doing in those. And then especially to remember what all of that is bound up to, what the chief miracle is. What your baptism is bound to, what you are confessing, what you will be receiving at the altar. That Christ has put on flesh and blood for you. That Christ has, through that flesh and blood, redeemed you. That he has shed his blood for you. That his body has been nailed to the cross. That he's died so that you would not. And that he's been raised so that you would. That is the true miracle. That God does that for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.